good to see you. Am I on? Sound a little soft. Are we good? Are we really good? Okay, so I'm not getting much of a response out there, which means I'm not good. <laughs> We're good? All right. Praise the Lord. Well, we just believe for the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us this morning in the presentation of the Word and that your hearts and minds are open to receive instruction from the Lord. Um, I just want to say to you that I'm going to pastor you this morning. Uh, that means pastor, if you don't understand. Uh... So there's going to be some admonition um, that I'll be you know, sharing with you. And um, I believe at the end of the day, we will all be encouraged. Can I have a good amen? Amen. All right. Thank you, Lord. So we are on the third week of the subject, Preparing My Heart for Revival. And we all agree that we would like to see revival. And uh, more, important, more importantly, we'd like to be part of a revival. And definitely, we'd like to include ourselves being revived personally, spiritually revived. Now, we realize um, that revival means change. It means spiritual growth and increase. It also means change in the way that we do church. And so the fact that we know something doesn't necessarily translate to doing. In other words, knowing is not synonymous with doing. So the question is, are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to bring revival to our own hearts and to the church? Because change is never comfortable. When you get used to doing something a certain way, and then you have to change, it becomes very uncomfortable. Um, in the golfing world, I play golf. Some of the guys out here play golf with me. And when we get instructions on how to better our, our game, sometimes it involves changing the way that you hold the club or the way that you swing. And it makes it very difficult because you usually go from being a great golfer to being a bad golfer. <laughs> because you have to change the way that you hold the club. And so it is. Um, there are many good things that a church um, could do. There are some important things that a church should do. But there are only four essential things that a church must do. And last week we spoke about those four things because it's not only for the church, it's the individuals. You might remember uh, the four things that Jesus gave us. He said we need to worship the Father in spirit and truth. He said that we need to love one another. And number three, he said we need to live the Word, live out of the Word. And number four, he said we need to preach the gospel to the world. So those were the four most important things, primary commands that Jesus gave us. But you know... Um, for those, and we had a great service the week before, you know, Pastor Cindy, uh, when we had the great testimony, um, how that we can share the gospel by just sharing with other people what Jesus has done for us. You don't have to be a theologian. You just have had experience with Jesus and be able to share, you know, Jesus did this, God did this for me. And so telling your story. If we want to have revival, the problem is that we have to go beyond simply telling our story. It requires more than that. While, <clears throat> while preaching the gospel is important, discipling people is more important. 
And this is, you need to understand, this, this is a, a big issue. Because Jesus did not say, go into all the world and make decisions. He said, go into all the world and make what? Disciples. And there's a huge difference between being a disciple and a person who simply made a decision. For example, there's a difference between Lord and Savior. Many people want Jesus as Savior because they want to avoid hell and go to heaven. But few people want to make Him Lord. I'll never forget the time when Jackie was in hospital. She'd had the stroke. She was dying. The doctors had given her two hours to live. And uh, they wanted to operate on her, her, her skull and, and open it up so that the swelling would come out of the top of her skull instead of going down the, her spine. And uh, I prayed about it and had our family with us, and we declined. We said, no, you're not going to do that. And what happened is that the doctor, the surgeon, went through with the nurse, and Hain, our son, went through um, into the room. Jackie was blind, and she was mute at the time. I did not know this happened. The doctor woke her up and said to her, we need your consent to operate because your husband has said no. And I had the power of attorney over her so that the doctor had to listen to me. And she, for the first time, she'd been mute and blind for five days or third, this was the third day, and she spoke miraculously and she said, my husband will make the call. And she went mute again. And the Hain came out and told me what had happened. I said, well, Jackie doesn't even talk like that. Those are the kind of words that she'd use. But he said, Dad, I was there. I watched this whole thing happen. And, and Mom said, you must make the call. Well, when, when he said that to me, I lost all the strength of my body. I fell on the floor in the hospital in the passage. Um, and I began to weep because, you see, I knew that Jackie and I had a love relationship. We had been married then about 27 years. But what I didn't realize is how much she respected my authority, how much she depended upon me and was willing for me to make a decision concerning her life or death, whether she lives or dies. And that was overwhelming to me, that she would trust me so implicitly to make the wisest decision on her behalf. And while I was lying there considering this, God, the Holy Spirit, spoke to me and He said to me, that is what it means to have Jesus as your Lord and not your Savior. Can I make life and death decisions for you? Or are you serving me just for what you can get out of me? Are you serving me just to try and go to heaven? Because if I'm really your Lord, then you'll do what I ask and you'll do what I say. So there's a difference between Savior and Lord. Do you agree? Just the same as being a Christian is not synonymous with being a disciple. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I did some uh, counting, uh, some references in the Bible, and, uh, and I thought you might be interested to know this, that the word Lord, Jesus is referred to as Lord 92 times in the book of Acts, and 747, like the jumbo jet, 747 times in the New Testament, he's referred to as Lord. But he's only referred to as Savior twice in the book of Acts. And 24 times in the New Testament in total. So uh, that's huge. But I guess you, you might not know this. The word Christian is only referred to three times in the New Testament. But the word disciple appears 255 times. Of which 30 of those are in the book of Acts. So this would indicate to us that the Bible's emphasis on, uh, is actually overwhelming on Jesus as Lord 
and as Christians being disciples. Not as Christians just being Christians. Believers need to be disciples. And Jesus needs to be Lord. You see, listen to this. All of Jesus' disciples, all disciples of Jesus are Christians. But not all Christians are disciples of Jesus. You see, they're not synonymous. People think we say, we meet people, we say, oh, are you a Christian? They go, yeah, yeah. Next time you meet somebody you want to ask the question, ask them this question. Are you a disciple of Jesus? I'm sure you won't get the same answer. Because it's easy. Same thing as saying, are you a believer? Yep, yep. Believe in what? Just believer. So you say, well, do you go to church? Yep, but they're talking about Easter and Christmas. So don't be asking people those easy questions. You know, church, are you a believer? Are you a Christian? Ask them the tough question. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Thank you for those three holy grunts. <laughs> Do you know there are 51, 51 scriptures in the New Testament that tell us to go and make disciples or to be a disciple? Here's one of them. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So making a disciple is Jesus' instruction to us, and it requires that we teach them everything that Jesus commanded us. Are you with me? So teaching them everything... Not just the fact that he's the Savior died on the cross, but everything that Jesus commanded us. This is what it means to be a disciple. George Barner, who is uh, probably the most respected research scientist in the Christian world, says this, 90% of Christians have never prayed for somebody personally to receive Jesus one-on-one. -on -one. Never done it. But only one, uh, only five out of 100 have ever discipled somebody. 95% have never discipled anybody in the way that Jesus expects. Now, hang on a minute. Did Jesus tell us his body to disciple people? If he did, and only five out of 100 are doing it, do you think the other 95 are going to get in hot water somewhere along the line with God? Somewhere along the line? Yeah. You know... Let's assume for a moment that you are discipling somebody. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, okay? You are discipling somebody or you've been discipling somebody. Could you say to this person as Paul did in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, follow my example as I follow example of Christ? You know, people always say, don't look at me, look at God. Don't follow me. Follow God. Follow Jesus. But that's not what the Bible says. Paul says, follow me. I'm the example. You can see I'm the flesh and blood example. You can see. Follow my example as I follow Christ. Now, would your example of church attendance, of worship, um, 
of loving God's people, of prayer, of Bible study, your life of holiness and purity, sharing the gospel with people, church attendance. Would you be confident that if somebody followed you that they would make it to heaven? Would you be confident enough to say, listen, I'm a good example for you to follow if you don't want to know what about Jesus. Follow me. Would you be confident? You don't have to answer the question. So <clears throat> let's have a look at just one of the aspects that we would be expecting our disciple to do. Just one. I mean, there's so many things. I want to pick on just one today and say, so how's your example in this particular category? And we're going to look at church attendance. So why am I looking at church attendance? Because you cannot have revival without an increase of church attendance. It's not possible. Revival doesn't break free on the streets out there, and they don't have meetings, and they don't get together as believers, and they don't start uh, affiliating to a church where they can't be discipled. That is not a revival. A revival is a real move of God. So church attendance will be a critical part of a revival, and we are trusting God for revival, are we not? We said we all want to be part of one, and we all said, yes, Holy Spirit, work on me, work on me so I can have personal revival. So let's read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, out of the Amplified Bible. It says, not forsaking or neglecting to assemble as believers, as is the habit of some people, but admonishing one another, and all the more faithfully as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? The day approaching. I'm sure you know. We're talking about the day of the rapture. We're talking about the, the, the end of this particular phase and the beginning of the tribulation period. There's definitely a change that happens. And the day of the Lord begins during the tribulation seven-year period. But the believers are caught away in the rapture. And he says, particularly as we approach this day, it's a watershed. It's a knife-edge time. As we approach this day, be sure that you don't forsake and neglect the gathering together of believers. But he says here, admonishing them. That word admonishing in the Amplified Bible is warning, urging, and encouraging. And that's what I'm doing this morning. Notice it starts off with warning. Starts with warning. You think, why would you be warning people about church attendance? Keep listening. Urging them to attend and encouraging them to attend. He said, as the day comes, as we approach that day, do not forsake. That means, do not forsake, that means turn away. Forsake means to turn away, to let it go. Or neglect. Now there is probably where most of the Christians are in that category where they neglect. For some other reason, they find some other priority in their life. I get so mad when people get promoted and their promotion takes them out of church on Sunday. I, I just like, what is that? What is that? You got promoted because you've been spending time in church and you've been walking with the Lord and now suddenly, well, I, you know, the money is more important. Anyway, how many of you... Uh, 
are looking for a perfect church. How many think you're going to find a perfect church? You know there's no perfect church. The promise is not a perfect church. Okay? Because people are imperfect. People are imperfect. And we make up the church. So every church has imperfect people in it. So every church is imperfect. And this is what actually, I mean, it really upsets me. When people get upset with the promise, they get upset with the teaching, and they're going to go and find another church. And off they go to another church. And how long are they going to be there before they get upset with that pastor's preaching? Or before somebody there upsets them? You take your baggage with you. It's actually not the church that you're going to or you've come from. That's the problem. That's where the problem is. Sort it out here and you could be happy. Now, obviously, if the church is not teaching the word, then move on. Go somewhere else. But you know what? There is actually a perfect church. I was touring in Europe and I found a perfect church. Would you show the picture? I was in the bus. God is my witness. I was in the bus and I went past this place. I go, what? I'm going to take a picture. One day, one day, I'm going to preach about this church. Thrilled. Now I found the perfect church. People make excuses for not going to church all the time. All the time. They come up with great excuses. Well, somebody said, well, why don't you go to church? Well, I said, why should I? I've been once. Has something changed since I was last there? Well, somebody said, well, there's no love in church. No love in the church. Well, how do you know there's no love in the church? Well, nobody greeted me. My question is, did you greet anybody? And how, how is it that you think being greeted is a sign that there's love in the church? So if you tell me if we put 10 people outside that door greeting you, and when you arrive, 10 people shook your hands in the way, you'd, you'd go, wow, the promise is just a church of love. No, we're a church of greeters. That, that doesn't make us a church of love. Yeah? There is something else when you mix with the people. And you start to find out that these people are genuine and they care and they do love. So there's something else about, you know, well, somebody said, I, you know, I don't go to church because, you know, the, the, the music is just too loud. God's not deaf. True, true. But he's not nervous either. Well, you know, sometimes I, I, I just, I'm overcome with the problems in my life. It's just... I'm overwhelmed with the problems. And I just don't feel like going to church and having to stand there during the praise and worship and worship God. I just don't feel like I'm going to do it. My problems are too big. Listen carefully to me. There's only two times when you have to worship God. Only two times. Okay? When you feel like it and when you don't. So, let me give you a warning. Let me admonish those who no longer have normal, regular church attendance. Of course, this doesn't apply to you because you're all here. I'm preaching to those that are not here, so tell them that I spoke about them. Would you? 
And if you're watching online, you know, I'm, possibly you can't make it to church and, and you're forgiven, but hopefully you'll make it again, okay? Uh, but for, here's a, just a warning to those that are no longer having a regular church attendance. Okay, so you see, when you don't have normal for long enough, you become abnormal. And when you live with abnormal long enough, it becomes normal. And when the norm, then, then, then the normal becomes abnormal. And so now, you no longer want the normal, you want the abnormal, because you've become normally abnormal. <laughs> Did you follow that? That's what like most sermons are like, right? <laughs> Who's on first? <laughs> All I'm saying is this. Listen carefully. If you stop attending church, it gets easier and easier to stay away. That's what happens. It's just that's what happens. And then staying away becomes more normal than going to church. And staying away from church is abnormal for believers. And so if you start to have an abnormal Christian life, you start to become abnormal. And you start to believe that abnormal is normal. Make sense now? Okay. So what are the benefits of going to church? I'm sure that you could all come up with tons of benefits of going to church. Well, first of all, you get fed the Word. So that's good. Um, also, you get prayed for. And you could be freed from something that's harassing you in your life. People laying hands on, pastors laying hands on, you can get freed from doing that. Then there's fellowshipping with believers. I mean, this church is amazing. You come here, we have to kind of ring a bell. Okay, stop, we want to start church now. It's so noisy out there. And, and it's like at P3 time, we can't start because the noise is so great. Because it's lovely. People are fellowshipping. People are talking to one another. And... You get encouraged when you come to church. And guess what? It's not all about getting. You can be an encouragement to somebody else. You can be loved and you can be loving. You can love on somebody else. And uh, what about the corporate worship that you, you can't get when you're on your own or when you're watching online? Like we had this morning. And the presence of God manifests in the house. You can't get that if you're not attending. And, uh, you know, when you are feeling down and depressed and you come into that corporate uh, worship time and you have somebody, some of the people that are just like flying high and, and just there with God and, and, and they release the manifested presence through their worship and you become a beneficiary of other people's walk with God. You become a beneficiary of other people's entering in and worshiping, even if you're standing on the sideline, all right? Even if you're standing on the sideline. So there's opportunity when you come to church for, for you to hear God speak to you, whether it's somebody greeting you at the door that says something, or whether it's somebody in the church who has a word for you, or somebody walks up and says, I just want to pray for you. You know, you've been on my heart, and they pray for you, and you go, whoa. How did you know that? Well, God obviously told them at that particular moment. But then on the other hand, you could be the person doing exactly that to somebody else. And you could get spoken to through the worship songs. 
like today. I mean, you could have been spoken to and been encouraged, or you could be spoken to and encouraged through the word that's been given. You know, and, and that's and that's what it's all about. So there's there's so many benefits of coming to church. Uh, one of those, one of the great benefits of coming to church is you can serve, and you can fulfill your calling in church. What has God called you to do? What has God saying to you? This is what, what is in your heart that you want to do for other people and for the kingdom of God. And you can't do it saying at home. You get to do it when you are with God's people. You get to share the ministry that's in your heart. You know, uh, uh, having regular church services. Uh, was, was God's idea. If you think about Moses, God instructed him to build a tabernacle in the middle of the desert so that God's presence could come into uh, the, the, the ark and the, the Holy of Holies so he could be close to his people. That's where God wanted to be. So there's a church service, basically, that was going on. And then Solomon built a wonderful temple for God. And on the dedication day, the presence of God came into the temple um, the glory of God came into the temple. People couldn't even stand to minister. But they were worshiping, praising God. There was then David put up a tent, just an old raggedy tent. And the Ark of the Covenant was there. The Ark of God's presence was there. And for 40 years, they worshiped and praised God without any sacrifices being made. They just came and they gathered together in God's presence. We move over to the New Testament and we think about the day of Pentecost. 120 people gathered together in one place, worshiping, praising God, when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And thereafter, throughout the New Testament, we read that believers met from house to house. They were gathering together in different places. Do you remember in Acts chapter 4, when they were being persecuted, and they all got together and they prayed about the persecution. The presence of God hit the place and shook it. God was pleased with their prayers. And you remember Cornelius. When, the, when he, uh, the angel appeared to Cornelius and said, get hold of Peter, he'll come and tell you, you know, words why, for you to get saved. And there was a whole bunch of people that had gathered together in Cornelius' house. They were Gentiles. And Peter speaking to them, here comes the Holy Spirit again. Falls on all these bunch of people there. Do you see this is over and over and over from Old Testament to New Testament, the gathering together of believers and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is what God wanted all the time. And if we don't gather, you miss out on what is God is doing amongst the people. Now, you also know that if you read the New Testament letters that Paul wrote to the churches, Ephesus, Corinth, um, he wrote to Timothy, and he gave them instruction on how to actually structure their meetings. He said, when you get together, do this, do that, do this. So it absolutely is a New Testament plan and purpose for God's people. But I need to warn you about something. There is a prophecy about the falling away from church attendance and from faith as we approach the end of this age. As we, in the last days and before the Antichrist is revealed, there is prophetic word about this falling away before he comes. Let me read it to you. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, and we all know we're living in the last times. Watch this. Some will turn away from the truth. They will follow deceptive spirits. Watch that word, deceptive. And the teachings that come from demons. Then in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 1, it says, 
but relative to the coming of our Lord Jesus in our gathering together to meet Him. That is the rapture, clearly spelt out. Concerning this time, I beg you, brethren. Now we've got a verse 3. Let no one deceive you. There's the same word, deceive, deceptive. Or beguile you in any way that the day will come, sorry, for that day will come, will not come, except the apostasy comes first. Except the apostasy comes first. Well, what does that apostasy mean? It means the falling away. Let me just continue reading. In, uh, it said, unless the predicted falling away of those who have professed to be Christians has come, and the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed, who is the son of doom of perdition. That word apostasy is correctly translated as falling away. It means the abandonment of religious belief. You cannot fall away from something or reject the faith unless you once had it. You can't fall away from church unless you once went to church. You can't turn away from the faith unless you once had faith. So this falling away that's been predicted here, prophesied here, listen carefully, will be people who intentionally turn their backs on the church and faith that they once believed in. It is not an accident. It's an intentional decision. But they are deceived into it. The two verses that we just read said they get deceived into it. They get beguiled into it. People talk in their ears. Oh, this going on with this church, and that's going on with this, and there's too much this in that church, and I wouldn't go there because of that, and, and they were cult because of this, and, and so on and so forth, and they get spoken to by doctrine of demons, trying to divide and pull them away from the church, pull them away from their faith. That's what it's all about, pulling them away. Now, a recent study was done by Pew Research Center, and it shows an alarming trend. Now, Christianity Today describes this study as this, and I'm going to quote. Currently, 64% of people say that they're Christians. See, not, not disciples. They say they're Christians. But nearly a third of those raised Christian eventually switch to none. Nothing in particular. One third. And only 20% of those raised without religion become Christians. And the age group that this is happening in is 15 to 29. They're disaffi disaffiliating from the faith. I'm going to continue reading. In the year 2008, the question of religious preferences was introduced as an option. And... The word none was used for the first time. They could choose that. They could choose Christian. They could choose something else, or they could choose none. And the response was less than 1% said none. No religion, no faith, none. That was 2008. In 2014, six years later, 20% of America said none. Six years later. Today, those who are unaffiliated with the church now represent 30% of the population in America. 14 years. From less than 1% to 30%. So 
Why is this trend happening? Why are people falling away? Let me tell you why. Because both society and churches are moving away from Christian values. There's less distinction between the church and society or between the church and the world, between believers and unbelievers. There's less distinction. You, can't, you don't know if you're in a club or you're in a church. I heard a pastor recently, in fact, this week, I heard him say, you don't have to believe to belong. You're most welcome to come. You might enjoy the music. You might enjoy what we're doing, our functions we're having. You don't have to believe to belong. The Christian Post put an article out this week. I want to read it to you. Mark Tooley, the president of the Institute of Religion and Democracy, is sounding an alarm <clears throat> on the United Methodist Church. After Annaldale, the United Methodist Church senior pastor, Andy Oliver, in Florida, invited a man dressed in woman's clothing to preach a sermon with children seated next to him. The pastor invited him to come and preach. It's a drag, drag queen. The pastor said, Oliver said, that he invited Isaac Simmons, who performs in drag, as I'm going to give you his name. I'm going to say it first. I'm going to tell you his name, and then I'm going to spell his name. He performs as Miss Pentecost. But his name is spelled P-E-N-N-Y, Penny, and then Cost. C-O-S-T. If that's not a play on words, and he's preaching in the church as a drag queen, I don't know what is. He delivered the sermon on October the 2nd, and the pastor said because he wants all people to see, like themselves, people called by God to preach the gospel. So he was saying this drag queen has been called to preach the gospel. Mrs. Pentecost. Now, Tuli, the president of the institute, has cautioned that drag queens like Simmons are becoming the new public face of United Methodism and says that Simmons and others like him are among the reason the denomination has failed to grow for half a century. I was speaking to another pastor recently, and uh, he is from the Dutch Reformed denomination. I was raised in the Dutch Reformed denomination in South Africa, so it comes from Holland. But there's English Dutch Reformed churches. Crystal Cathedral was a Dutch Reformed church, unless you, if you didn't know. There's 41 of these churches in California, Southern California, and 39 of them broke away, and it took five years to break away, because what had happened is that the LGBT community had worked their way up into the church, and because elders are voted in, they became elders in the church. And then they began to call the shots on how this church was going to be run, and who's going to be accepted, and who's not going to be accepted. But 39 of these churches said, no way, we're not having that, and they broke away. What I'm telling you 
It's in the church. So there's no difference between the church any longer and society. So why go to church? If you're not going to be taught the word, if your feet are not going to be held to the fire, if someone's not going to light a fire under your butt, if you're not going to feel like, you know, I'm learning something and I'm growing in God, why go? Go to the pub. Go enjoy yourself. Go and just do whatever you want to do. Are you out there? You're going home. Somebody just left for the pub. <laughs> Listen closely, people. Listen very closely to me. What happens when you take a burning ember out of the fire? It dies. You know the story, the parable Jesus spoke about the 99 sheep and the one who went astray? What do you think happens to the one that goes astray? Becomes prey for the wolf. The wolf attacks the one that's astray. So Satan is about seducing people away from the flock, pulling them away from church, away from their tribe, because when he gets them alone, they become easy prey. Satan can work their case, he can take them captive, and he can destroy them. Watch out, watch out for Satan trying to pull you away from fellowshipping with the believers. Our job is to unite, to stand strong, to keep on doing what God has told us, and, and then as the body of Christ, we're going to kick hell out of the world. Amen? Now, I want you to stand on your feet, all you disciples, I want you to stand on your feet, and I'm going to have you repeat something after me, all right? I want you to repeat this with all your heart. Say it out loud and be ready to say it, okay? I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit fire and power. The die is cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of His. I will not look back. Let up. Slow down. Back away. Be quiet. My past is redeemed. And my present makes sense. And my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, with sight walking, fear talking, small dreams, tame visions, chintzy giving, and tiny goals. I'm no longer, I no longer need position, promotion, popularity, or a pat on the back. I don't have to be right first recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. And I live by His life, led by His Spirit, please God by faith, stand immovable by patience, receive answers by prayer, and love by labor. My face is set, my road may be narrow, and my way may be rough. And my companions may be few, but my God is reliable, and my mission is clear. My goal is the expansion of the kingdom of God. By faith I shall accomplish my design assignments in Jesus' name. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, 
diluted or delayed. I will not finch in the face of sacrifice. Hesitate in the presence of adversity. Negotiate at the table of the enemy. Be swayed at the pool of popularity. Or lose my way in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up. Shut up. Let up. Or slow up. Until I've preached up. Prayed up. Paid up and stood up for the cause of Christ. I have chosen to believe that all things are possible through Christ who empowers me. I must work the works of Him who has sent me. Shout the good news from the rooftops. Heal the sick and raise the dead. I must look like, love like, and act like my Master. I must go till He comes. And when He comes to get His own, He'll have no problems recognizing me. For as He is, so am I in this world. I choose to be identified with Jesus Christ. You believe that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, I believe in you. I believe in you, and I'm trusting the Holy Spirit in you, that you're going to continue to be strong, to assemble together, to reach out, to disciple people, and then you yourself are going to be a disciple that Jesus would recognize. I am trusting the Holy Spirit to work in your life so that you will never be embarrassed of your faith, never be embarrassed of Jesus. And always, always remember, there's an enemy trying to take you out. Don't allow him in. Amen? Don't allow him in. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to talk with your people. I appreciate the conversation that we've had today. And I thank you, Lord, for open hearts and minds to receive your word. And I know that you're working in their life and that everything that's been said today will find a hiding place in their heart and they will grow and increase and become everything that you desire them to be in Jesus' name. While every eye is closed and nobody moving around. You may be in that position this morning that I spoke about. Where you've turned your back on your faith. Where you've turned away from church. Where you've been neglecting church. Neglecting God. Neglecting Jesus. And today the sermon pricked your heart. And you go, Pastor Henry, you're talking about me today. I need to get back. I know I need to get back. I've got to get back to God. I truly want to be called a disciple, not just a Christian. And I want my family to follow me. Lord, I'm asking you today to help me. Friend, if you're willing to make that decision... If that's your heart, I want to pray with you today. I want to pray with you. Wherever you are, if that's your, if that's your heart, just wave your hand towards me. Just raise it up briefly. If that's, that's you, say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to come back. Thank you so much for those hands. I want to come back today. I want to give my life to the Lord. I, I'm, I'm tired of backing away. This is it. This is it for me. It's all or nothing. Thank you for those hands that have been raised. 
while every eye is closed, and those who have raised their hands, um, I would like to personally pray for you. Personally, I'd like to take you by the hand and pray for you. Do you have the courage to come down to me so I can pray with you? While everybody's, nobody's looking around. I just want you to slip out of your chair and come down here if you have the courage of your conviction. If you say, this is truly a decision I'm making. If you would, just slip out of your seat. Come on down. I'm, I'm coming down off the stage. I'm standing here. Thank you for those that are coming. Give them, give them a warm applause as they come. Come on down. Come stand right here. Just come stand with me. Come stand with me. Give another round of applause. Come stand right here with me. Now, before I pray for these folk, are you sure you don't want to be part of the prayer group? You sure? You sure? You have courage to come down? You have the courage? Come on down. Come stand right here. Okay. I wonder if we can have our prayer team our ministers come and stand behind them and put your hands on their back. If you're in line, come just stand behind them. Put your hands on their, on their back. We're here just to encourage them, ladies and ladies, guys with guys. Thank you, Lord. Okay, guys, we're going to pray a very little prayer, a very simple prayer, okay? Just a very simple prayer, okay? I know God, God is going to hear this, and it's going to make a huge change in your life. So just pray this prayer with me, please. Pray it out loud. Dear God, you know everything about me. Nothing is hidden. And today I want to repent, Lord. I want you to give you my life. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I believe, Jesus, you are the Christ. That you died on the cross for me. In my place. You took my sin. And you took the punishment due me. And you said, I can be free. I can be your child. Heaven will be my home. I receive it, Lord. I receive my forgiveness. Thank you for making me your child. Not because of anything I've done. But because of what you did. Thank you, God. I can now call you Father. And Jesus, I can call you Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, would you look up at me just for a moment? I believe you were sincere when you prayed that prayer. Were you sincere? Did you mean that with all your heart? Okay. Well, in order for you to move from here on with God, I'm going to ask you to allow us to disciple you, to help you learn how to pray, how to read the Bible. If we just let you go and you say, well, you're just going to go home, it's like taking a newborn baby and say, well, I'm going to leave you at the hospital. I'm going to go home. If you're truly born again, you know, you truly, you'll make your way home. No, no, it's not going to happen. That child needs care. I mean, you've got children. You know how much care this child needed in the first year, right? So you're going to need a lot of help, tremendous amount of help, you know. I mean, when I started out, 
I didn't know the Bible at all. I mean, I didn't know where the beginning was, where the end was. I couldn't even pronounce the names. Didn't know anything. Thank God somebody helped me. You know, I tried to use the vacuum cleaner this week at home. And because somebody else always uses the vacuum cleaner, I never get to use the vacuum cleaner. And I couldn't use the stupid vacuum cleaner. I need to get somebody to help me use the vacuum cleaner to show me how this thing comes apart and how it works. That simple. That simple. Well, if it takes help, if I need help for that, how much more help will I need when it comes to understanding the things of God? I mean, that's huge. The Bible is massive. We're going to need help, right? Do you understand? We're going to need help. You can't do this on your own. So I'm going to really encourage you to come back, let us love on you, let us help you, let us have people call you, talk with you, show you where you've got to go. You understand? All right, it's very, very important, okay? And now what we're going to do is we're going to pray for the sick. So you're going to have you stand here, okay? We're going to have you pray for the sick. But before we let you go, I want to give you a book. Um, yeah, okay, we're going to give you a book. Are, are you guys a family there? And you guys a family here? Okay, thank you. I think they already have. I think they already have one. Would you like your own? We've got extra copies. You can read at your own pace. Okay, going to have you read that. Okay, so now we're going to pray for the sick. And if you need prayer, you want healing in your physical body, you come and join these folk. If you are, would like to stay for prayer for sick in your body, you're welcome to stay. If not, you're welcome to return to your seat. I know that you'd like prayer. Correct. And uh, if you want to stay, by all means, stay. Okay? If you have different ailments, we can just tell us what those ailments are, and we'll pray about that. Are you staying for your personal, or are you staying just to support? Just to support him. Okay. All right. So if we have anybody else who'd like to join us for, for prayer for healing, come and join us, please. Give us some space there. And you, there's some space over there. You can stand where Pastor Andrew is. So what we want to let you know is that Jesus is the healer. Jesus' body was broken. The Bible said by His stripes we were healed. So God wants to do a miracle healing today. He loves doing miracle healings. He loves healing the sick. He allowed Jesus to be beaten to death. Specifically, so we could be healed in our bodies. Okay? It was, it's his plan. It's his plan to have us healed in his bodies. As much as it's his plan for us to go to heaven. But you see, the devil is the root cause of sickness. He's the root cause. God is not behind it. Jesus came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. But Satan wants to steal your life. Jesus said so. He came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, no sickness is bigger than God. Even though you may be frightened when the doctor declares that you have cancer or something of that nature, it, fear comes with it. But thank God, God's love casts out that fear. If you're putting your faith in Jesus, that's all that's needed. It's all that's needed. You don't have to be perfect like the perfect church. 
to get your healing. All you've got to do is, thank you, Jesus, I'm trusting you. It's that easy. Getting to heaven, that easy, because he did all the hard lifting. He did the heavy lifting. And he came to save us, to heal us, to deliver us. So it doesn't matter at this point what your life has been. At this moment, that's all under the bridge. It's gone. You're a new man. You're a new man. You're a new woman. Because the Bible says everything becomes new. Everything becomes new in God. The moment you give your life to Jesus, everything becomes new. He forgives you of everything. Can you imagine everything that's happened you've been forgiven for? Every wrong word you've ever said, everything you've ever done you've been forgiven for. So don't let the devil say to you, well, you deserve this. Or you've done such and such and such and that's why you've got this. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Because from this moment, you have no past. You only have a future. Isn't that neat to know? Don't we always want to turn over a new leaf and really, 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 really turn over a new leaf and know that the old is gone? Well, in God, the old is gone. It's awesome. A new start. Brand new start. New man. New marriage. Everything new. New husband. New father. Everything brand new. No matter everything, it's gone. So when I pray for you, God's going to heal you. You're going to get healed. You're going to get healed. Because the Bible said, by his stripes yield. In fact, Jesus gave me instructions. He said, if you lay hands on the sick, they will recover. I can show you. He gave me that instruction. So it's going to happen for you today. Okay? So step a little forward. Okay? Now, if you guys would not touch him while I pray for him, I'd appreciate it. I'm going to have somebody stand behind him. Um, if somebody would stand just behind him, so just, just in the... Okay. So when I pray for you, the power of God's going to come upon you. It might be a new experience for you. You might go, whoa, what's happened? Don't worry about it. Let God be God. Let the power just flow through you and bring about the healing that you need. All right? So I want to ask you to do something. Would you just lift your hands just like this? It's a form of surrender. Like someone got a gun on your back. Form of surrender. Basically what you're saying is, God, this is me surrendering to you. Okay? Is that good enough? And close your eyes. And I'm going to begin to talk to God. And I'm going to talk to God in a heavenly prayer language that he gave me. And then when the time is right, I'm going to lay hands on you. So don't get, don't get shocked. Don't get shocked. But I'm going to talk to him in the spirit language that he gave me. Me shura antruki parechiche morunda aked shurepe ichandari. Mondra lara de dibu shure tararara hi shechirite de dibu kushutaramaya. Men shurut arsi nan shuku ampakherit enemin durokushuku karetedikaya. Yes, thank you, Lord. I receive that and thank you for it. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. Now, in the name of Jesus. By the authority delegated to me in his name, I come against the spirit of death, the spirit of fear, connected with cancer. I take authority over those demonic spirits. You cannot harass my brother. He belongs to God. He's God's property. 
He's Jesus' child. And Jesus has said, if I lay hands upon him, he will recover. So I take authority over that sickness, over that cancer. And I curse it in Jesus' name. I curse the life force. And I forbid you to live in his body. I forbid it. You may not continue to damage his body. And now as I lay my hands upon you, the healing anointing will flow through your body. The Holy Spirit, who is the healer, will manifest healing in your body. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Release the healing power of God to flow through your body, bringing about a healing and a cure. Every cancerous cell die in Jesus' name. You're cursed. You cannot live in this body. This body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Dedicated to God. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Now I sense the Holy Spirit anointing flowing into you right now. Flowing into you right now. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Doing the miracle. Doing the miracle. Complete. Complete. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You okay? You're sensing something happening in your body right now, huh? You're feeling a little dizzy, kind of a little weak kind of stuff? A little bit. little, little weird, huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that is the manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is the anointing that's flowing through your body. You're not used to that sensation. It's like it's, that's kind of a weird thing. It's a testimony to you that God has touched your body. Because you sensed it. You see something is going on. What's happening here? So from this moment on, don't let the devil talk you out of the healing that you have received today. 12 o'clock on the Sunday, you received it. You've got to believe that you received it. You're not going to get healed. You have been healed. Now, it's going to take a little time for that cancer to, to fall away, to come apart. Doesn't matter. It's done. You know, it's like a tree that dies. The leaves are still on the tree. The tree's dead. It's going to wait for those leaves to fall off. Right. That thing is, it's dead. It can't stay. It's past on. Thank you. Okay, sir? Thank you very All much. All right. God bless you. God bless you. Give me a good hug. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. God bless your family. God bless you all. So good to see you, to have you in church this morning. All right. Thank you, guys. Give them another round of applause. Thank you, Lord. Okay. God bless you guys. Okay. All right, folks, have we had church? Are you all coming back next Sunday? You'd better, otherwise I'll preach it again. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you at Bible College. We'll see you at prayer meeting in, uh, in, on Wednesday morning. Have a great week. Tell your disciple they've got to come to church. Amen? Tell them. Well, God bless you. Have a good week.